Welcome to the Boss in Heels podcast with your host, Lara Nassessian, the podcast that shares the mindset, habits, tools, and tactics of inspiring women. Hi, everyone. This is Lara Nassessian, and welcome back to another episode of the Boss in Heels podcast, where I speak with inspirational founders, CEOs, and other world-class performers to tease out their mindset, habits, their routines, overcoming challenges, and so much more. I'm really excited to announce today's guest because he is someone who I've known for a few years now in a professional capacity. And while we were having breakfast a few months ago, it dawned on me that I had never asked him to be on the podcast and that there would be so much merit in inviting him to come on because every single conversation that I have had with this individual is so inspired and so thought-provoking. And that individual is Ben Bars. Now, who is Ben Bars? Ben is the co-founder and CEO of We Are Unity, an agency which exists to create meaning that matters. So We Are Unity partners with all kinds of organizations from corporate to government and startup. They partner with some of the most complex organizations and well-known brands to unleash their full potential. They are very purpose-driven, very purpose-filled, and very passionate about making sure that they and the organizations that they work with are true to their North Star and always heading in the right direction. Now, I loved this conversation with Ben because we go quite deep and we talk about a lot of the personal side and upbringing of Ben, what really formed his business acumen and shaped him into being this remarkable CEO that he is today. And it was a really, really insightful conversation. So many great insights, so many great takeaways. We talked about everything from upbringing to building business to cultivating relationships to habits and routines and having important conversations with your significant other. You name it, we went there. So without further ado, please enjoy this deeply insightful conversation with Ben Bars. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Absolute pleasure, Lara. This is so cool because as I was just saying before we hit record, I love talking with just cool people that are doing epic things. And you are someone who I've known in a professional capacity for a number of years now. And I think it was a couple of months ago that we were sitting down and having breakfast one morning and I just said, why have you not come on the podcast yet? <laughs> why don't we do a podcast episode together? Because you are one of those people that anytime I have a conversation with you, I'm left feeling either inspired or it's been something you've said has been really thought provoking for me. And I feel like that is the really cool thing about this podcast is that we just get to have these awesome conversations and see where they go. So oh. thank you for being here. Well, that's very kind of you to say, Laura. Thank you. Don't know whether uh, I should be blushing at this stage, but um, <laughs> all good ideas happen over bacon and eggs at Balmoral. I- <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Clearly. 
clearly they do. And as we were prepping for this episode, so my team likes to do a lot of research and then I I like to do a lot of research for these episodes as well. And we noticed that there's not a lot about you personally online. There's a lot about you in terms of the work that you do with obviously founding We Unity, being the CEO of We Unity and all of the wonderful work that you do around that. But when it comes to personal, Ben, you're a little bit of a dark knight. <laughs> and I was like, where to start this interview? And you know what popped into my mind was you are someone who is an avid motorbi- motorbike rider. Yeah, You love Harley Davidson. I do. Where did this like first passion or like, you know, love affair with the brand start? Like, what is it about like motorbikes? What is it about Harley Davidson that you love? (laughs) Well, um, okay. So, well, the idea of motorbikes, um, first off, so my father was a big uh, motorbike fan. He actually rode for the police force uh, in the UK. And so he, you know, sort of grew up around Harley Davidson's mum and dad did their honeymoon um, on the back of his Harley through France. And uh, every night they stopped at a chateau and in their left bag, they had his um, his um, his dinner suit, and then in the right, mum had her cocktail dress. And so every night they'd stay at a random chateau, and they move on the next day, and uh, they just travel through Europe on their Harley. And that kind of has yeah, always stuck with me as um, you know being pretty free spirited. Um, and so for me personally. I think the idea of being on a motorbike is just my form of meditation. Um, you know, you just get to focus on the road. Um, and I think when, you, when you're doing that, everything else just sort of clears from your mind. Um, and it's just a wonderful sensation. So uh, I've actually just booked my next trip uh, up through Thunderbolt Drive over the Great Dividing Range into Byron. So it would just be, a, uh, you know, a backpack and a bottle of scotch on the back of the Harley and off we go. <laughs> That is so incredible. I had no idea that that started from your parents. And mm-hmm. I think that's a beautiful legacy almost or tradition that you're continuing, um, which is really cool to see. And I want to talk to you about, you know, where this all started for you, because you you are, as I said, the co-founder and CEO of We Unity, yep. and you're celebrating 10 years of the business this year, which is so incredible. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Where did this all start from from though? Like how did Ben become a founder? How did he become a CEO? Like what was your upbringing like? What was it about you or the way that you were brought up that made you really curious or intrigued or wanting to go on a journey like the one that you have? Or was it just completely serendipitous? I'd love if you could just share your insights. Well, I guess it all started, um, as all things do, with upbringing, right? So parents. um, And uh, so I was born in Germany, born in Hamburg. So I didn't learn English until I was about eight years old. Um, And... um, Mum was married to a man who wasn't great uh, to her. And so we got to see a lot of that growing up. And uh, when she finally managed to escape, um, we went to the UK and um, mum worked in a hotel and uh, put my brother and I into a convent uh, where we were taught English by some nuns who were French and the French's English isn't great. So that was uh, something to be said. But um, as she got back on her feet, um, she started to explore how she could build her own independence and uh, uh, and build her own wealth to look after my brother and I and give us a, a better future. 
Um, and um, I think it was in 94, she was voted European Businesswoman of the Year by the Financial Times. Um, and, you know, she'd built that herself, no education um, in that sense, in that traditional sense. And uh, so off she was traveling the world, um, giving lectures on financial advice and management um, and um, running offshore trusts in the Channel Islands, et cetera. Quite a quite a journey for her, um, and I don't know. I guess when you have a role model like that, um, it kind of builds an inner drive in yourself to kind of see what you can do and what you could be made of. Um, and so, you know, I guess a lot of the decisions I've made are, you know, in honour of her, uh, and um, you know, um, drive that continuous want to see what you're capable of. So, so that's what sort of led me down that path. You know, my brother and I were really privileged. We went to a great university. Um, and then, um, you know, my, my, my background originally started in finance. Um, so I started working in Moscow, uh, working in M&A. Then I moved to Istanbul, working on the stock exchange, doing portfolio management. Um, and through the process, um, evaluating companies um, through the lens of investment viability. And the biggest variable that kept messing with our predictions was people, as predictable as they are. And so we started thinking about why is there no rigor around people, um, given that they are traditionally the biggest line item on any company's P&L, uh, typically referred to as human capital. And so we thought, well, what if we build a business that helps companies better understand its people and how they think and how the way they behave impacts the performance of a company? Um, and so that was about 10 years ago. Um, it started off as an experiment. I, um, I actually took one of my colleagues at the time, uh, Nat, who's my business partner. I took him to the pub and I said to him, um, you know, I've got enough money saved for a deposit on a house, um, but I think we should build a business instead. And he said, bugger it, let's do it. Um, so off we went and, you know, built a, built a business or started as an experiment and it turned into a business. And um, yeah, it's sort of grown from grown from there, and now you know we've got a team of uh, behavioural economists and data analysts and creatives and psychologists, and uh, yeah, it's a we're having a wonderful time. What a story! I mean, there's so many different ways that we can take this, and I do want to come back and and bookmark on the influence that your mum had on you because mm -hmm. I think that that is so fascinating what she was able to go out and create and then the influence I feel that that would have had on mm. you growing up as well. But maybe let's talk a little bit about We Unity because I, I feel like this is a shared passion that you and I have mm -hmm. is people. We really care about people. We're really interested in people, human behavior, all of those kinds of things, psychology. We, we've got that as a shared interest and passion. How did you go from that conversation in a pub and having this experiment yep. laid out in front of you to the empire that you've created today? <laughs> I mean, you've got a huge team of people that are working with you. And these are individuals that are, I mean, I've personally partnered with and worked with over the years as well through yep. my corporate career. They are exceptional people. Mm -hmm. How have you gone from that moment in the pub to surrounding yourself with these people and building this company? Like, did you, 
how did you learn how to do that? Was it just let's just figure things out as we go? Did you have a mentor? Like what did that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, um, again, there's a lot in that, right? So <laughs> I'm asking all the related questions. Uh, yeah, yeah, these are big. These are big questions, and there have been so many learnings along the way, um, so many great mistakes that we've made, um, and you know, at the moment we're going through this transition of going from a sort of family startup scale up style business to now, how do we, you know, design for the next chapter uh, and do that, uh, you know, in the right way? Um, but in the context of people, I think. When we started, we we were very much focused on brand right? and um, and the the aspiration for a business, and <clears throat> we soon realised there was a huge gap between who you want to be as a business um, and who our clients want to be, and their ability to actually deliver on that, the reality. Um, and so, I guess our natural curiosity made us dig deeper and deeper into a company's ability to actually achieve its dreams and live its purpose. Um, and so we needed to build a cohort of people who understood behavior, who understood um, um, communication, who understood uh, the art of nudging in the right way, um, who had a mutual appreciation for, for, the, for the value of purpose. And what's been really interesting, I think, particularly over the last 36 months, is that we've all been... I mean, everybody in this country has been sat at home staring into a camera, uh, wondering whether they're fulfilled in their life, whether they get meaning out of what they do every day. Um, and that reflection on mass has, um, you know, caused a, a sort of chain reaction. A lot of people refer to it as the great resignation, but people want to be part of something meaningful. They want to belong to something purposeful. Um, and it's actually, um, you know, had a huge socioeconomic impact. And so a lot of corporate CEOs and, and equally, you know, SME CEOs are, and, and government CEOs are now looking at w what role does purpose play in helping us secure our future and future-proof our business. Um, but I think having purpose at the core of everything we've done has allowed us to build this eclectic melting pot of diversity <laughs> and talent. Yeah. And, and what is if you had to define the purpose of We Unity as an organization, if yep. you had to d describe it in one line, one sentence, what would it be? How would you define that? Well, we, we actually have a purpose in one line, and that is to create meaning that matters. So we exist to create meaning that matters, and, and everything really boils back to that. And so um, basically, you know, everything we do has to go through that filter, through that lens, does what we're doing um, you know, is it meaningful? Is it going to matter? Is it valuable? Uh, is it something we, we think we should be doing for the betterment of tomorrow um, for ourselves and others? And if the answer is no, then we don't do it. Mm. Yeah. It's a great question to come back to, almost like a, a, a benchmark of why do anything? Mm. You know, why are we doing anything? Why make any kind of decision? What mm. is the purpose of that? And I think when you know what your purpose is, it makes everything else so much easier. It gives you so much clarity in terms of all those other little decisions and questions in between. Yeah. It takes a lot of those question marks out, I feel like, in a lot of ways as well, because either the, the alignment is there or it's not. And Absolutely. I feel like you've touched on a really important point, which is this shift and this movement towards people seeking purpose-led 
organizations or people wanting to create purpose-led organizations. And I saw this as well because, as you know, I spent quite a lot of time in Austin uh, recently. And what I did really feel in a big way there was this shift and uh, this emergence of conscious entrepreneurs. Mm. And so for someone who is in business, because we do have a lot of entrepreneurs or budding entrepreneurs that do listen to this podcast, Mm. if they were listening to us speak about purpose-led organizations, but they don't know how to connect perhaps their vision to their purpose, Mm -hmm. what kind of advice, where would be a great starting point for someone like that in business who's wanting to become more purposeful in the work that they're doing? Yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful question and and typically a great starting point, you know, regardless of if you're a startup or an established, you know, corporate enterprise. Um, a great purpose must drive all decision-making. Um, you know, the vision needs to ladder up to the purpose. The strategy needs to ladder up to the purpose. The brand needs to ladder up to the purpose and so must the culture. That's why it sits at the core um, of what we call unity dynamics. Um, because so many building blocks of a business are built in isolation. Uh, you know, marketing's working on the brand and customer experience. HR's over here trying to chase engagement scores and, uh, you know, design ways of working. Um, you know, corporate affairs, you know, this purpose tagline for the investor community. The board's focused on vision. Uh, the CEO and the COO are focusing on the strategy. Um, and how does it all come together? Right? How do you commercially align all these building blocks that are designed by different people in different languages for different outcomes? Um, and that's the purpose of unity. That's why we exist. It's what we do. Um, but I think in short, to answer your question, a great purpose needs to have jeopardy. In other words, if your organization didn't exist, what would the implications be? What would the world be missing out on if your organization didn't exist? And it's a really good litmus test or pub test to actually see whether or not your purpose has jeopardy in teeth, um, as opposed to it's a just a feel-good line that, that you know, is well, as that all it is. And um, and so it's really important to think about how does this put pressure on the way we're going to grow the business, evolve the business and, and design the business moving forward. Mm. Hopefully this is making some sort of sense. It makes <laughs> so much sense. And I feel like that really is a good litmus test. It's almost reverse engineering it as well in like what would be the flip side if we didn't exist? What would be the flip side if I didn't do, th- do this thing? And I feel like that's a question that a lot of people don't actually ask. I'm such a big fan of asking really good confronting questions because mm. I feel like that's when you get the best answers yep. when you're or willing none or, or none at all, or none which at all, is yeah. an answer yeah. in itself, right? <laughs> so, so that is really cool. Um, from your experience as well, mm. building a great team of capable people yep. around you, as we touched on a little earlier, this is something I feel like you've done remarkably well is you have such a high standard quality of people that you do bring on board Mm -hmm. um, in terms of those individuals that are going to serve your customers and your clients. How do you build a great team of people around you? How have you done it? And if someone is again, an entrepreneur, a founder, Mm -hmm. uh, someone in business that's 
struggling to build a great team of people around them because this is something I get asked a lot. Mm -hmm. Even some of my entrepreneurial friends who've got amazing businesses and they might have a few people challenges or they're just not quite getting the right caliber of people or how have you done it in a way that has enabled your business to grow and scale to the degree that it has? So, all right, let me think this through. Um, There are so many things. I don't think it's just one thing. Um, I think purpose does play a role because purpose creates passion and passion creates energy. And without passion and energy, you just don't have a team. So I think that's a fundamental ingredient. Um, The second is, and this has been really interesting, right? So our little eclectic melting pot of diversity um, and diversity has a shadow side, right? That is that people come from different environments with different backgrounds who speak different languages, have different drivers and needs um, and capabilities. How do you get them to work together and to speak that common language? Um, and I think giving that clarity around what they are there to achieve um, as an outcome, as opposed to just what outputs they should be driving. So what outcomes? And that drives more of a mindset around good, healthy, meaningful problem statements. And I think a lot of leaders haven't been given much training around how to define a meaningful problem statement. That's why most companies don't know how to use data, right? We all have lots of it, but we don't know what to do with it. Um, I think another thing that I've really tried to do, and this is, I mean, m- my own personal growth and development's ongoing. Um, and so my passion, for instance, has a shadow side too, and that's it's difficult for me not to speak up in a meeting. And I know <laughs> that psychological safety is so important right? Mm. because people need to feel heard. They need to have a voice. Um, and you want to unlock all the gold that sits within, you know, the, this a, a sort of great diverse team. And so, you know, at the moment I've, I've really tried hard to ensure that I'm the last person to speak in a meeting, not the first. Um, when that I, requires a lot of restraint. Oh, it does. It does. <laughs> trust me. Um, and um, the second thing, and this is feedback I get at home from my partner Natalie, um, is the art of listening um, and really listening. Um, so being present, really taking in what the person's saying, and I think um, if you can role model that, and the team can demonstrate that with each other. Um, things get really powerful um, and you start to see people trusting each other more, um, leaning in more, being more proactive in what they share, what they debate, how they debate. Uh, and it becomes a lot healthier. And I think, you know, some of those things are just core to a, a good, healthy performing team. Mm. I feel like what is so cool about all of this is even at your level, even with all of the success that you've had, you are still so open to taking on feedback to being on this constant growth journey and growth trajectory and being really open to that as well. I feel like on the flip side, when you see people that are quite closed off because they have attained a certain level of success already, they think, well, you know, it got me here, so I'll just keep doing what I've always done. (laughs) I I think it's actually really refreshing how open you and your team are and receptive you are to feedback that you make it such a point Mm. um, in all kinds of interactions. Um, Is that something that you feel like has been innately you in terms of having this more growth mindset and this opened open-mindedness towards feedback or is this something that you feel like you've really had to 
work quite hard at to be more open and receptive? Yeah, look, probably a bit of both. And we're probably back at mum. Mm. Um, so mum was incredibly, is incredibly direct. Um, and so our relationship is you have it out immediately. You say what needs to be said. And then within five minutes, you're hugging and you're moving forward. And I find that incredibly healthy. And so the idea of not sharing feedback, um, positive or constructive, um, baffles me. Um, and I think a lot of organizations and teams have prioritized the chasing of employee engagement scores at the detriment of company performance because when you chase scores, you're actually encouraging employees to protect and prioritize their relationships with each other over the interests of the business. And now I'm not going to challenge Lara because I've got to be nice to Lara because I need a high score because it's in my KPIs. And so you create these environments of superficial nice where people don't have honest, meaningful, direct conversations with each other. Mm. Um, and that's where the pace and the focus of organizations begin to slow down and strategies don't get executed. Um, and, you know, it's something that, you know, most organizations to some degree will suffer from because we want to be respectful and we want to be nice. But so the art of giving and receiving feedback is just so fundamental. Um, but I think, you know, back to your question, for me, I don't just want to grow the company, I want to grow myself. Um, and, you know, if I stop growing, then what's the point? I love that depth and that degree and that regularity of feedback. Again, I feel like it's super refreshing. And in fact, if more people practice this, I just feel like there would be more self-awareness generally, right? Because yeah. I think that everyone's got blind spots. Even if you've got a very high degree of self-awareness, there's still going to be something that you miss. There's going to be something that you don't see that someone else sees. And I feel like it's really quite refreshing to have that degree of openness. I do want to go back and, and touch on the role that your mum's had on you because she has come up a couple of times sure. in this conversation and mm. she just sounds absolutely fascinating mm. to me. What do you think is the biggest lesson or lessons that you learned from your mum seeing her grow up and growing up and sounds like what is a remarkable woman went on to achieve all of the success mm. quite independent by the sounds of it how how did she what what are some of the core things that you feel like you have taken from that experience of growing up with your mum yeah right um well, maybe we should dial her in. Uh, <laughs> Fine, a friend. And, uh, yeah, no, she's um, she's on a boat in Turkey at the moment with Dad. Oh so, my uh, gosh, how amazing! Won't interrupt her. But um, <laughs> look, I think look, macro, micro, right? So ma macro things. I think the biggest takeaway from Mum is you can do whatever you want and you can make whatever you want possible. Um, she did. I mean, you know, she was forced into her first marriage uh, out of Armenia in Turkey. Um, you know. We've got herself out of that situation, um, got herself out of the next situation um, with my biological father um, and then went on to, you know, rebuild from scratch um, with the support of my stepfather, um, who's an amazing human being. Um, and, um, you know, but I think some of the smaller takeaways from mum are probably speak your mind. Um, it's so unhealthy to keep things inside. Um, and so many people do. Um, I think um, give trust rather than 
encourage people to earn it from you first. Uh, I'm a big believer in giving myself and and then seeing what happens as opposed to forcing people through a process to earn it. Um, life just happens so much more fun and uh, and so much faster that way. Um, I think go with it is probably a big one too. Um, a lot of people tend to sweat the small stuff. I have done in the past, um, and I think life's too short um, to, to to do that. So just becoming more and more resilient um, as you go as you go through through life, um, and I think have fun. Um, Mum, you know, loves a party, uh, and uh, it's something you can forget quite easily, right? And with all the stresses in life and all the priorities, and we're getting busier and busier all the mm. time. It's like creating space to just reflect, celebrate, um, and give lots of hugs to those people who deserve them. That is so beautiful. <laughs> I feel like they are incredible life lessons to, to take away. And then one of the things that I love about these conversations is having the opportunity to sort of unpack mindset and perhaps certain things that you've done throughout the course of your life or the course of your career mm. that you feel have put you in the position that you have created today. If you had to boil it down to a few things that you've done that have ultimately defined your trajectory, yeah. I'm a big believer that it's these sliding moments in life and sometimes we're presented with these opportunities and we either kind of see them or we we don't mm -hmm. or we see them and we do something about it or, or we see them and we choose not to do anything about them. So I'm always really fascinated to know how do you think you got to where you got to in business mm. and in life to a degree? What are some of the core things or moments you feel like have been just really defining for you? Okay. So I think one of the first things is coming up from a divorced family, bouncing around between different parents, different families, different zones. You have to, from a young age, learn how to flex your style. Um, and I think in business that translates because you have to adapt, you know, if you're in a boardroom or if you're dealing with a, you know, um, a, a team of kids in a store, um, you've got to be able to adapt your style. Um, and I think the, the silver lining on a divorce cloud is you've got to learn how to be adaptive and, and be flexible. So that's probably one. Um, I think the second is, um, I, I wanted to study archeology span when I was a kid. Um, I spent summers on digs um, in the in the Mediterranean. I was always fascinated by history, trying to find treasure. Uh, and Mum said, "No, you're not doing that. You can you can study that when you can afford it yourself. Uh, while I'm paying for your university degree, you can do economics." So I think um, <laughs> listening to Mum was probably a smart one on that one. Um, and. I think, you know, going to university away from home, I know in Australia, a lot of people study in their hometowns. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a mistake um, because you need to build that independence. You need to build that resilience uh, and you need to learn, you know, um, that life isn't always taken care of for you. And the sooner you can learn that and build those skills to negotiate, um, to be resilient, to influence because you don't get taught that at school. You don't get taught that at university. And a lot of parents don't teach that to their kids either. So where do you learn that? Mm. Um, and in preparation for the business world, university seems to be the right point in time to, to learn a lot of that. 
Um, I think another sliding door was I, I came out of a big relationship, uh, seven year relationship in the UK and coming out of that, I, um, decided to come to Australia for a holiday, uh, with the family we'd never been. And, uh, I phoned my boss in a, about a week in and said, I'm not coming back, uh, for a bit. <laughs> uh, and I never came back. I never, I never went back. Uh, well, I didn't go back for a few years anyway. And, um, and that was in 2005, uh, when the big tsunami hit. That was the, uh, it was 05, wasn't it, Christmas? I believe yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, that was, that was a big moment. Um, and, and, you know, I think listening to, to dad, cause actually him who encouraged me not to buy the house and actually go and build a business. Cause he said, what's the worst thing that can happen, right? You lose a bit of money and you go and get a job again. Um, and so, yeah. Anyway, there are a few sliding moments right there. That is really, really cool. Thank you for sharing <laughs> those. Ben, I'd love to unpack some of your routines and some of the things that you do that feel like you feel like have set you up for success on a whether it's a daily basis, weekly basis over the course of the years. One of the themes that we love to talk about this show is getting into like the granular specific details of oh habits and routines. And if you don't have them, then that's cool too. But I have a feeling you might have a few. So I'd love if you could maybe share a little bit around like, how do you start every day so that you are set up for success? Or what are some of the daily or weekly practices that you have in place that you feel like maybe some of your non-negotiables, maybe it's the way that you like to start every day, maybe it's walking outside by the ocean. I know we usually bump into each other, so I feel like that might be there might be something there. But um, what are some of those habits? like? And I'm happy for you to go as granular and specific as you like because my (laughs) audience loves details. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, right. Um, Might need a bit of editing at this stage. Um, (laughs) So, well, the easiest way would be run through a day. Um, So typically wake up at uh, 6.30. Um, roll over, see if Natalie's awake or not. Um, we'll have a quick debate about whether we're going down to the beach to exercise. And typically it's a yes. Um, we'll get Maggie, our grudel, and we'll head down to Balmoral Beach and um, we'll either walk along the parade there and just talk about, you know, the day ahead. Um, we'll try not to talk about work too much. Um, you know, that's always something that we're both conscious of is, um, how do we talk about us? How do we talk about our future? How do we talk about the kids? How do we talk about the things that matter in that time, in that valuable time? Um, and um, But now that summer's coming, um, the walks along the parade might move to sand runs. Um, so don't come down anymore because I'll be in my budgies and that's not a great look. Um, <laughs> I'll just pretend I haven't so seen. So just, yeah, <laughs> walk the other way, sort of shuffling through. Uh, and the water's getting warmer. I think it's about 17.5 degrees at the moment. So um, I'm in there. Natalie definitely doesn't join in on that one. Um, she's waiting for the water to get a bit warmer. Um, and then breakfast, right? I'm a big believer in breakfast. I know a lot of people skip it. Um, but I love the idea of, you know, boiling some eggs, scrambling something, um, and just having a coffee, reading the paper and just rather than trying to just rush into the day, um, I think it just sets the pace, um, and sets the mind right. Um, and I'm a big believer in reading the paper, right? So a lot of people don't, or they might just quickly scan an app. Um, I like to physically, this might be showing my age now, but I, I, I really enjoy physically sitting down and reading the paper. Um, and just, you know, having a look at what's going on in the world. And a lot of our clients are in there, right? So it's good to stay across that. Yeah. Um, 
And then typically, um, you know, heading into the office, uh, we'll start the day with an all agency. So the whole agency comes together, you know, most mornings, uh, and we'll just share, um, what are our learnings from the previous day? Do we have any recognition to share with each other and why? Um, and, you know, sort of any key updates just to make sure that we're, you know, we get that one opportunity to, to be one team before the day gets away from us. Um, so yeah, that's, that's typically. And then, you know, from a routine wise, Mondays, I play tennis with my mate, Scotty. Um, we're pretty even, um, Competitive. And, <laughs> and it's getting there, it's getting there. Um, and tennis is something I love. It's, it's, it's great fun. Um, uh, Wednesdays I've just started hot yoga. Um, mm. so that's not easy. Um, you know, some of those moves, oh my God. It's tough, right? It's deceptive as well. You think yoga is low impact, but low impact doesn't mean easy. No, exactly. (laughs) And it's hot. They make the room really hot. They do. So there you are sweating, balance, you know, trying to balance and all sorts of weird noises in the room. (laughs) Don't need to say any more. Um, but the guy who runs it, the yogi, are they called yogis? I think so. I think so. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. He's, um. He's really cool and he's got a lot to say about the things that matter in life and the things that don't. And so I've actually gotten a lot more out of it than I thought I would. Um, and so when I come home on Wednesdays, I actually feel really just zen. Um, mm. It's amazing. Um, so I should probably do that a bit more. Um, and then I play tennis every Thursday morning with my business partner, Nat. So I have two Nats in my life, my personal Nat and my business How Nat. How cool. Yeah. Uh, keeps it easy. It does. Um, and we have a game and it's a good time for us to catch up, right? Because as the business is growing, it's it's rare for us to find time to be together. Um, yeah. And then, you know, weekends is all about being present and being with the family um, as much as possible. That's so beautiful. What about wind down routines or nightly routines? Are, are there any sort of practices that you feel like are quite helpful for you to make sure that you're prioritizing things like sleep or, you know, mental well-being or anything of that nature? Like, are you someone that's really disciplined when it comes to putting their phone away and those types of things? What does that look like for you? Yeah, so I wasn't, um, but I I am now. So, so when I get home, the first thing I do is put my phone on the charger and I, it's, it's gone. Um, and that's, that's not an easy transition, but it's one that just needed to happen. Um, you know, not just for myself, but for the family. So I can actually be present, you know, catching myself on the phone when the kids are trying to have a conversation, that just makes me sad. So that's something I don't want to happen anymore. And, um, and equally for, you know, for Natalie and I to make sure that we get, we get that time after you know, a big busy day. Um, but I think in terms of wind down, the ultimate for me is cooking. Um, so a lot of people see cooking as a chore. I actually see it as a, a form of meditation because I just completely, you know, zone out. Um, it's a chance to be creative. Um, you know, I don't use ingredients or recipe books, um, unless they're from the family, you know, very specific things at Christmas or, or that sort of thing. But just to, you know, chop stuff off and, and see what you can do, see what can happen. Um, and, um, you know, trying to get the kids involved with that too, so that, um, can pass on a little bit of knowledge here or there. Um, and so family dinner is really important. So, um, you know, Sam lays the table, um, Olivia clears the table. We go around, everyone talks about the day, highlights, lowlights. Um, so I think that dialogue's really, really healthy too. Um, and look, the odd nip of scotch, uh, every now and then just to calm the thing down, you know, it helps too. 
Love it. Love it. I feel like one thing I'd love to delve into, and it's something that you touched on, is that dialogue with Natalie. Mm -hmm. And I've had the pleasure of meeting her once or twice, which is really cool. But I feel like that's something that the two of you seem to have worked out, Mm -hmm. um, is how to have the careers that you both do, Mm -hmm. but really make your relationship such a priority in that and really talking about the future. And the reason I ask this question again is because a lot of my audience loves to know about, okay, I'm really into my business and my career, but how can I bring my partner into the equation? How can I bring my family into the equation so that you're not just creating goals in silo, but you're actually creating a shared future and a shared vision? Yeah. I'm really intrigued, if you wouldn't mind, Mm -hmm. and we can edit it out as well if it's not something that you want to (laughs) talk about on this show, but I I would just love if there's a couple of things you could share around those conversations that you had that you feel like have been really helpful for you and, and maybe something that something tactical that someone in the audience could perhaps instill into their own daily dialogue. Yeah, look... Again, number of things in that, right? So Natalie and I actually met through work. Um, I mean, where else do you meet people these days, right? It's either apps or work, <laughs> I right? Don't know. The, day, the days of hanging out in pubs and uh, you know saying hello to people you don't know is they're I feel gone. Like they're so, long gone, yeah, which they makes have. me really sad yeah, in, in a, a lot of ways. It's true, yeah. right? So, so we met, you know, four four and a half years ago, and. Um, and you know she's she's been extremely and is continues to be extremely successful in her career. Um, and so there's a lot to learn uh, from her and her experience and her style. Um, and so whilst we share mutual interests, um, we also try and create the space to not always talk about the things that we're passionate about from a work point of view. So we're creating space for those other things. And so it's being really choiceful about what are the moments that matter when you are together that you're going to talk about work versus family, future, holidays, hobbies, fitness, health, everything else, family. Um, And, um, you know, but I think for those people that want more contribution from their family into their career, um, the first step is helping your partner, kids, parents actually understand what you do. Right. So a lot of parents don't know what their kids actually do for a living or a lot of partners don't really understand what a lot of their partners do. So I think it's making it easier for people to actually understand and connect with, therefore get excited by what it is you actually do and why you do it. You know, does your partner know why it drives you, um, how it drives you um, and what your aspirations are around that? And I think giving some transparency about that so that they can contribute and equally get excited about it is something that I think a lot of couples just don't go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's more of a mutual appreciation. Um and 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 if you understand it more, then you're willing to listen more and be more supportive, you know, in whatever way you can be, intellectually, physically, mentally, whatever. Um, and um, yeah, so you know, that's yeah, that's us. It's really cool to hear that. I feel like it, it just requires a little bit of conscious thought and planning and effort up front, but I feel like the benefits of doing that can be just so 
incredible um, to have that shared vision and understanding. I feel like it's such a missed opportunity otherwise. So I think it's really great to hear your take on that. And I've just got like maybe one or two final questions before we dive into our rapid fire round. And I'd love to ask you, Ben, with everything that you've created, what what is next for you? Where do you see this all going, whether it's from a personal perspective, from a company perspective? What's the ultimate goal or vision or, or where do you see the next 10 years perhaps even might be a, a bit of a better question, however you want to unpack that? Wow. Gosh. Um, so, well, vision for the business is to become the first place for purpose. And so if we to unpack that, I think, you know, we're looking at really scaling the business into um, potentially even one day a group of businesses where we have mutually complementary skills and specialisms. Um, so I think, you know, keep building that out, keep listening to customers, keep co-creating, and then it's an organic plan, right? So we want to be customer driven as opposed to this is what we think is right. Let's just do that. Um, so I'd like to design the next chapter together with our clients, um, I guess is the answer. Um, and I think for me personally, I'd like to, and whether I'm qualified enough, I don't know, but I'd like to play more of a coaching role. Um, I love the idea of you know coaching people in our organization, spending more time with people who are from the ground up you know, working their way through to build confidence, build connection, um, and all those things that, um, you know, matter so much. Um, and hopefully I think I'd like to spend a bit more time on a few boards. I'm on the board of Movers Against Domestic Violence and, um, and that's I been noticed. A, yeah, yeah, that's, and that's been a real privilege, particularly through COVID and everything that happened there. Um, and, um, so I'd like to dedicate more time to that. Um, you know, we've been focusing on safe escape at Movers. Um, but I think the next chapter is now sustainable escape. So how do we help women, uh, and, 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 you know, those in need to build that independence so they don't have to go back? Mm. Um, how do we build that, um, you know, financial independence, that security, uh, their ability to consciously design their own next chapter, um, so they can be fruitful in, in their life moving forward. So yeah, that's a huge opportunity I'd like to give more time to as well. What a beautiful mission. I feel like that is such an important cause and certainly something that's worthy of that time and focus and the fact that you're, you know, so involved in that is just brilliant to see. So yeah, it's really cool. And Ben, like I said, I do want to wrap up with um, my five rapid fire questions. And unfortunately, no guest is exempt from these questions. So (laughs) (laughs) I know know I'm throwing you in the deep end, but I know you can handle it. Mm -hmm. So the first question I wanted to ask you is what is one piece of advice that you would give to your 20 year old self? Um, (laughs) so many things, uh, find Natalie sooner. Oh, that's so beautiful. (laughs) I mean it. That's, that's, yeah, that's probably the one thing I could fast track. I love that answer so much. That is really, really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) Question two, what is one thing that you've gotten better at saying no to? And part two to that question is, do you have any particular strategies for people who find it really difficult or challenging to say no? Um, So the best thing I've got better at saying no to is chocolate. (laughs) 
<laughs> really? <laughs> trying so hard. Oh, it's my so vice hard, as well. I. What do you, what's your go-to? Okay. Do you know what my go-to is? Yeah. It is the Haying. Yeah. Um, it's like a block of chocolate yeah. with honeycomb like chunks in it. Oh, gosh, it's yeah. divine, Sounds and dangerous. I can't just eat like one little piece. <laughs> it's like the whole. Yeah. I, I I eat more than I would care to admit. So <laughs> that is that is my weakness. Wow. Yeah. Um, what about you? Oh look, we're playing Cadbury's, so ah, you know, call it simple, look, but you know, the Cadbury block. Every it time. does. It does do the trick. <laughs> So, um, how look, have you weaned yourself off that, by the way? Ah, uh, look, so I've sort of gone through fruit and gone, what is the fruit that really gives me the biggest kind of bang for buck? And it's the grapefruit. I love ah. it. And so, at that time, you know, kids have gone to bed, you might just be watching a show or reading a book or something like that. And it's that point where you're going to reach for the chocolate, right? It's like the danger zone. Yeah. And so I forced myself to go to the kitchen and cut up a couple of grapefruits and Natalie and I'll just share a bowl of that um, and try to try to resist the chocolate colour okay. instead. Yeah. So wow. try and find an alternative, right? But, okay. But to answer your question, I think, yeah, you know, in a business sense, the, the the toughest no has been saying no to business, saying mm. no, saying no to new clients. And the reason for the no is how do we make sure that we're working with the right types of people, um, people that are actually ready for change. Um, you know, it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to lean into it and, and get on with the difficult task of changing. Um, and so how do you screen for that and, and then have the confidence to say, you know, I don't think you're actually ready and I need to protect the team. Uh, and as we grow and scale, that confidence in the art of saying no also needs to be built in the team. And mm. so giving them to the, the permission and, and I think giving them clarity of the importance of saying no to protect themselves, protect the business, um, you know, yeah. That is such a big one and I feel like it's worth just like talking about for a moment because I feel like it is so easy and so tempting to just say yes to every opportunity mm -hmm. and I guess that question, coming back to that question of is this actually aligned with the vision, the purpose of what we're trying to achieve. Because every time you're saying yes to one of those things, you're taking your time, your resources, your energy away from other opportunities, which could be more aligned. But it's a really difficult thing, I feel like, for, for people to master, That's right. myself included. You just want to say yes to all the opportunities, all the things. But then it's, you're, you're you know, inadvertently you're saying no to something else that comes up. So. That's right. That's right. So I think in a business sense, really valuable. In a personal sense, however, I've been trying to say yes more. Have so, you? Yeah, I, I, just yes to experiences, yes mm. to trying new things. Um, and Sam, my EA, she's been amazing in supporting me with that. So she's just downloaded one of those um, ClassPass apps. Yeah. And so one of the things I said to her is, like, you know, because she said, other than calendar management and email and all those sorts of things, how would you like me to help you or support you? And I said, with my health. And because um, she controls my time, right? She controls mm. how I spend my day and what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. And um, so she's downloaded a ClassPass app. And then the beauty about that is that every time you go and do a class or she finds time for me to do something, it's always something different. So it could be boxing, it could be hot yoga, it could be, you know, whatever. So I think just saying yes to more experiences, I think that's um, yeah, quite fulfilling. Mm, that's fantastic. I really, really like that. Question 
three is what is the best investment you've ever made? And it could be anything, right? Like something you invested your time, money, energy, anything else into. Yeah. Well, we're back at Harley Davidson. <laughs> oh, are we? We've yeah, come we're full circle. We're definitely back at Harley Davidson. <laughs> so I, I used to ride a Ducati and they're so dangerous because you go so fast so quickly. Yeah. Um, and the problem with the Ducati is you're leaning right over. And so essentially you're watching the, you're not really, the world goes by, you're not really embracing it. And I remember I pulled into um, Fraser Cycles out in Parramatta and I said to the dealer, um, I said, I think I'm going to kill myself on this thing and I think I need to change it to something else. And he said, well, why don't you try Harley Davidson next door? The only way that'll kill you is if it falls on you. And I said, oh, don't be ridiculous. That's for old blokes with big beer bellies and <laughs> big beards and all that sort of thing. And uh, he said, no, go and have a look. So I went in and the guy put me on this um, the bike that I've got. It's called a Fat Bob. And um, I got on it and I remember driving off down the freeway for a test drive. And I was laughing out loud with joy. And literally on my own, on this bike, on the freeway, just laughing at the top of my voice because I was actually that happy. And it's so rare in life that you get so overwhelmed uh, that you just laugh out loud and you just continue. You know, and so I, I drove back in. I just gave the guy my credit card and said, let's, let's get on with it. This <laughs> it's is a this done is, deal. Because when, you, when you're riding the Harley, you're sitting back. And so you actually get to embrace everything around you and you get to soak that up too. Mm. Um, so it's just a very different way of approach. Anyway, I'm rambling now. So. No, but that's a really cool <laughs> look. It's the first time anyone's ever given me that response about that question. And I think it's really cool. So thank you for sharing that. Um, the fourth question that I wanted to ask you mm. is what is one motto, quote or saying that you live by? Oh, wow. Um, or just a favourite quote that you have? Yeah, well, do you know what? There is one that I've tried to apply in the last few years. So um, I used to work, um, one of our clients um, was, a, was a large multinational food manufacturing business. And the CEO, um, we were having a conversation um, over dinner and I asked him what were his big takeaways from being a CEO of a huge multinational. And the, the number one thing he said, in fact, he's now written a book uh, about this quote, and that is, it's not always right to be right. Hmm. Um, and knowing when to lean in and when to let it go um, and think about the long term, not just the short term. Um, and that's something I've really tried to apply, uh, you know, in personal life, but also in 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 business world. Mm. Yeah, it's not always right to be right. I think that's a that's a good one. It's a great insight. And final question is: What habit, routine, or ritual has most positively impacted your life? I don't know. There's so many things that go through my mind right now. Again, it doesn't have to be just one either. If there's multiple things, feel free to, to share. I think I think travel. You know, living in different countries, soaking up different cultures, putting yourself in different scenarios and different environments with different demographics. Um, JP, our creative director, he he often talks about the importance of immersion in different environments, different experiences. And uh, I think he went to a Justin Bieber concert uh, recently. He was like, why not? Let's do it, you know. And, and I think, you know, the importance of just whether it's day to day, going to a gig, going to a restaurant you'd never go to, taking a different way to work, um, taking someone 
you know, for a beer from work that you don't have anything in common with and don't really know. I think just changing it up uh, in everything that you do, um, it's amazing where it can take you mm. and how it can keep building you. Mm, love that. Ben, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the show Likewise. and to get to have this conversation. Look, I love talking to you anytime, but to have this conversation means I get to ask all the questions, which <laughs> is really fun for me because normally I'm in the hot seat. Indeed, indeed. But before we do wrap up, is there any final thoughts, any, any messages, anything that you'd like to share with our audience or anything you'd like to talk about what you've got going on with We Unity, anything of that nature that you want to share? I think as the years go by and, you know, we're all in the same storm, just different boats. You know, we've got recessions going on. We've got companies trying to survive. We've got the world trying to reimagine itself. Um, we've got new conflicting tensions. And, you know, I think my, my, my last comment would probably be get clear on your own purpose. Um, start there. Um, get clear on why why you exist and what you want to be, you know, what you want to stand for. Um, everything else will come from there. Mm, beautifully said. Well, I feel like that is the perfect place to end this conversation. Ben, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks, Lara. Likewise. And thank you so much <laughs> to everyone for listening. Until next week. Bye for now. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Boss in Heels podcast. Be sure to visit bossinheels.com for a ton of information, resources, and articles on all things career and personal development. And subscribe to this podcast for all future episodes.